exciting, is it not? Yeah, it's so awesome. So when I go on vacation, I, I like to do something. Uh, when I go on vacation, I like to take a book that is a fiction book, and I like to read it on vacation. It's the only time of the year I read fiction. Um, I just don't get into it a lot. I don't have time to get into it a lot. Some of you guys are big fiction readers. And so I always take a book, um, and I have my book picked out this year for vacation. First day of vacation, I pick up this book, and a popular author, and I start reading it. I've read several of his books before. Um, his name might be John Grisham, all right? And so I start picking up, and I'm reading through it, just fiction, just trying to not focus on anything else, just have some, some time to to turn my brain off a little bit. So I start reading. I get about a quarter of the way through, and I thought, I know how this book's going to end. I know how this book is going to end. All the characters are lining up, and I thought, well, I'll just keep reading anyway. So I get about halfway through, day, day two, day three of vacation. I get about halfway through, and everything is still lining up for it to be exactly as I thought it was going to be. Exactly how I thought it was going to be. It just kept moving that direction, moving that direction, moving that direction. I thought, I'm at the point of no return now. Those of you who are readers in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You're reading a fiction book, and you think you know where it's going to go. Everything's lining up. How many of you at this point would glance at the end? All right, anybody? Glancers at the end? Glancers at the end? Cheaters, cheaters, cheaters. All right. How many of you would just keep on reading? Raise your hand. And how many of you would just throw the book out the window? Some of you would have done that before I started reading it, all right? So I get, I decide I'm at the point of no return. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll get better. So I flip through. I keep reading. I didn't look at the end. I read through. I get three quarters of the way through. All the other characters that would not answer the plot as if I had written it are all still, the ones that need to be there are all still alive. And I'm going, this is exactly what I thought. So I finished the book. I stayed up one night late. Emily's asleep. I'm there reading by this little light, just hoping that it's going to change. And at the end, I thought, I'm going to throw this book across the room. It was exactly, it was exactly how I expected it to be. As I was preparing for today, I, I thought about that book. And I thought about it because it was exactly as I expected it to be. And then I thought about the story of the birth of Jesus. Was it? Expected or unexpected? Did it happen as expected or was it completely unexpected? What I'd like to present to you this morning is a trick question. It's both. Because last Sunday we saw the prophet Isaiah and other prophets. They told ahead of time. They said, this is what's going to take place. This is what's going to come. Jesus is going to come at this time period. Jesus is going to come through a virgin birth. Jesus is going to come in this region of Nazareth. He's going to come in a side street, good-for-nothing town. That's how it's going to happen. It's expected. So in a sense, it's expected. But something changes when all these prophecies start to come true. One of those prophecies that's made is not only is Jesus going to come as expected as the prophecies foretold, but before Jesus comes, there's going to be another birth. So today I want you to see this this morning. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness. So someone is proclaiming that Jesus is coming. Someone is going to come before Jesus and proclaim Jesus. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah not only tells about Jesus coming, but he says, hey, there's gonna be somebody else that's gonna come and they're gonna foretell and they're gonna make the way for Jesus. Later on in scripture, we read in Malachi, behold, I will send a messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he who is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then it describes this foretold person coming a little bit more in depth. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And so you've got these prophecies and if you're not a biblical scholar, it's okay. These are words that are spoken way before the life of Jesus about Jesus, about circumstances, about things that were going to take place. So in some sense, it's expected. But then... It slips off the radar because for 400 years, there's nothing. There's no voices from God. There's no angels that come to speak to people. There's no prophets that say, this is the word from the Lord. There's no appearance of the Messiah. So the stage is set. They know what to expect. And they're waiting. And then we turn the page into the New Testament. Now, again, the New Testament is given to us, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them are called gospel accounts. They tell the story of the life, birth, death, resurrection of Jesus. And it's been quiet for 400 years. They were expecting it back 400 years before. But now, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation had passed And they knew the promises. The prophets still practiced by the promises. They still followed all the traditions. And now, 400 years later, this happens. I love this passage of scripture. I'm so excited. Been horribly sick this week. And man, but I am still so excited about some things that I think God's going to show some of you this morning. And reveal some things about your personal life. But also about God's plan. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, let me just give you a very quick background. All of this that we're about to read is not how we have church now, thankfully. But in this time period, it says this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, it tells us something already about them. It says they were blameless and righteous. It does not say that they did not walk through difficult seasons of life. Please hear that this morning. It doesn't mean that they lived life according to God's word and that nothing ever difficult came their way. No, it doesn't say that. And verse 7 tells us. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. 
And they were both well advanced in years. Painful. Difficult. Blameless. But they've got a prayer request, don't they? Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, let me explain what's happening here. Again, this doesn't look like church. I'm really glad that I don't have to to walk through this. There were 24 divisions of priests. There were dozens of priests in each of those divisions. You lived outside of town for the majority of the year, living your life, doing your roles in your community. Then several times a year, you came into the temple in Jerusalem and you performed the temple rites of a priest. But every so often, they would cast lots. Now, this could be they rolled some dice, they pulled the straw. However, okay, this is not a a great spiritual moment here, but they cast lots. And Zechariah's name was pulled, and Zechariah was going to get to go do something that he might never get another chance. Understand this. He's been waiting his whole life now for two things. He's been praying for a child, and he's been waiting to go into the temple. But he also is one who knows the heritage. And he knows that back here, tucked away in genealogy is a promise of a Messiah who's going to come. And tucked away in those promises is a Messiah who's going to come, but before him is going to come someone to announce his arrival. He knows all these things. So he goes into... and. Tradition would be he would take a combination of spices and herbs and he would go into one of, not the Holy of Holies, he would go into a certain room and he would place herbs and spices on hot coals and this smoky perfume would, would billow out. You might get one chance in your career as a priest to do this. So he goes in. Verse 10 says, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So everybody's outside. Everybody's gathered together. Zechariah has gone in. He got his chance. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. One chance. Burn the incense. Go outside and tell the people and proclaim the words of the Lord. That's his job. Walks in. Oh, there's an angel here. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Duh. He was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, first words from an angel, first words from a prophet, first words delivered to one of God's children in 400 years. Silence is broken right here. And here's how it all gets started. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. I'm all alone in the holy temple. I got my one chance. And you're here? 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer. Listen to this. Please hear this. Your prayer has been heard. I want you to see this morning that in the big picture that we're going to see and the purpose of God's eternal plan for sending Jesus Christ as a Messiah, as a Savior, as a sacrifice, as a healer, I want you to back all the way up to this point as well and hear this. Your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will go, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He must be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Listen to this. Zechariah would have known these words. And he will do what? What will he do? He will turn the many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. Goes on to say, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah from Malachi to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient of the wisdom to the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Here's what he's saying. I heard your prayer, baby's coming. Oh, but Zechariah, I got news for you. He's a part of a bigger plan that you would have never even prayed for. You would have never imagined making this the request. He is going to be the messenger. The one that you heard about in Malachi before God shut this hole down for 400 years, that guy, that's going to be your son. He didn't just give him a son. He gave him a great son. He answered his personal prayer but it was a part of an eternal plan. It was bigger than Zechariah. It was bigger than Elizabeth. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Oh, such a natural question that I would have asked the angel as well, right? Wrong answer. He's being human. You and I would be human. We'd be a little nervous. We'd probably pop the question. So so how do I know this is right? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in her years. The angel said, all right, here's how we'll do this. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. (laughs) I stand in the presence of God, and I stand, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Can you imagine? Zechariah's been waiting his whole life. He's been waiting for a child. He's been waiting for the chance to go in and burn incense. He's been waiting for the news of the Messiah to come. All of them are coming true, and he can't go tell anybody about it. He can't tell anybody about the three greatest things that have ever happened, not just to him, but that are about to impact him. He can't walk out there and go, guys, I got this message from the Lord. The angels, he's still hanging out in there maybe. I don't know, but I got to tell you something. The Lord is coming. My wife's going to have a child. 
but he's going to announce the Messiah. Guys, it's coming. Verse 21 said, the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. (laughs) And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. I don't know how you act that out. I don't know what that looked like, but I mean, he's like, you know, angel, big, you know, three words, sounds like. I mean, I don't know what all he did. I don't know if he grabbed another priest and, you know, was like, hey, speak for me and let me write this down and you say this to him. But then scripture goes on, it says, in his time of service that ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Elizabeth and Zechariah go home. Your prayers have been answered. He's given you a child. Yes. He's going to allow him to be a prophet. Yes. He's going to tell the Messiah. Yes. He's going to take away your shame, Elizabeth. Yes. God answered the personal prayer of his people while keeping his eternal promise. Not apart from. And everything changed. God answered the personal prayer of his people while keeping his eternal promise. I want to give you just a couple other examples that happened before this moment to make this moment happen. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and Sarah, they've been given a child. God tells Abraham, go up on the mountain, sacrifice your son as the lamb. And at just the last moment, God sends another lamb in his place. And God says, hey, I told you I was going to provide for you. I'm going to keep taking care of you. I'm going to give you what you prayed for in your promise but it's going to be a part of a bigger plan. I got this. In the book of Esther, he allowed a Jewish woman to be queen of a Persian empire so that she could protect the people of God, so that the people of God, their name and their heritage could be protected, and so that Jesus could come from their line. And God uses Esther for such a time as this, Esther. This is personal to you, Esther, but this is also part of a greater plan, Esther. God is a personal God with an eternal plan. I want you to hear this this morning. God is a personal God with an eternal plan. We turn the page of 400 years of silence and boom, this is the conversation. He doesn't reach into some distant person's life. He reaches into a person who had been faithfully going to work, faithfully going into the temple, faithfully performing his duties, faithfully walking up front, faithfully waiting his chance to burn the incense, faithfully loving his wife. In the middle of all the God says, hey, I got got you. Here's a child. Messiah's coming. But you can't go tell people yet. I want us to rewind to a couple weeks ago. If you were with us when we studied 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. I want to prepare you for Christmas, but I want you to be prepared this Christmas not simply to think of Jesus in the manger. Absolutely. But I want us to see the bigger picture. As you're walking through, some of you are walking through those Advent journals with us. We're, we sold out of those super fast last Sunday. You can still order one online. Um, unwrapping the names of Jesus, it'll kind of lead you down this path with us. But I want you to see that Jesus is personal. 
but he is also moving forward to protect his eternal promise to us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16 says, He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. A few things about Jesus from this passage of Scripture. And we'll bring it back to Zechariah and Elizabeth. A few things about Jesus as you walk into this week in this Christmas season. Jesus is in charge. Scripture says, God blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is in charge. No other Lord can challenge him. No other name can be praised. No other name can be lifted up as we practice this morning in worship. And he demands our full obedience. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is eternal. Scripture tells us who alone is immortal. What Timoth, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you're going to have to remind the people, Jesus, he didn't have a starting point in the manger. That wasn't the beginning. That was the fulfillment of he has always existed with God in the Holy Spirit. They've existed together. God placed him in this moment. It's hard for our little brains to grab, but Jesus is eternal. He didn't start in the manger. He didn't end at the cross. He started before all creation, and he will be for all eternity. Jesus is eternal. Jesus lives in glory. He who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen. You may have got a glimpse of Jesus when he was here, but you didn't see him in his full regalia. You didn't see him fully prepared for what he's about to do. And the Lord of lords came first to save us from our sins. And he will come again to make all things right. We think about the first coming, the manger, the cross, the resurrection. But Jesus ascended into heaven. And scripture tells us that some point in the future, Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to split the skies and he's going to come into this universe and he's going to say, hey, remember the promises that I'm the King of kings and Lord of lords? Remember that I'm eternal? Remember that you've never seen me? Well, let me give you a glimpse. And here's how he's going to appear. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened up and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. This is all Jesus. And in his righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, a little bit different than a baby in a manger at this point, right? And on his head, there are many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, they are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, who followed him on white horses, From his mouth comes a sharp sword from which strike down the nations and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress and the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and down his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah, absolutely. And here's what I want you to get a glimpse of. That's Christmas. Uh, what? 
like baby, manger, Mary, Joseph, king, shepherds, the cube depiction. I mean, that's Christmas. Yes. But this is the coming of Christ that will change all eternity. When Jesus will return fully robed, fully conquering, taking this earth, taking his people, restoring it, Scripture says, to the place and the picture that God created it. And know this, in the middle of that story unfurling, there's a guy and a girl, there's a husband, there's a wife, there's a priest and a barren woman who have been waiting for something to happen. And in the middle of that plan unfurling, God says, Zechariah, Elizabeth, I, I heard your prayer. I don't think we take that moment and say, Simply because I prayed that one prayer, that one moment, it's, everything's going to happen in the way that I wanted, in the, the moment that I have. It didn't happen that way for Zechariah and Elizabeth. But I want you to hear something. Because God has an eternal plan, he cares about your personal plan. Because God has an eternal plan promise of who Jesus is and who Jesus was in this moment and who Zechariah and Elizabeth because he's a part of all these things he's personal but he has an eternal plan he cares about the everyday prayers of his people imagine Zechariah Elizabeth for nine months. He's communicating on a whiteboard, which doesn't exist, by the way. He's got a rock in the ground, and he's communicating to her. He's giving her the information. And in that moment, the eternal plan of God is moving forward, but it didn't leave out the people. And I want you to know this morning, some of you, if I were to ask you this morning, write a note to Jesus and thank him for him being a personal God. Thank him for the things that he has already done in your life. You could fill pages and know that in the middle of all those answers that he's also got a bigger plan. Some of you may write down and say, but these are some prayers that I've been praying and I will continue to pray. And I will trust that God is going to move in his way, in his time, in his answer. Why? Because he cared about Zechariah and Elizabeth, but because he has a bigger plan. And if he is faithful to his promises of thousands of years ago, lining up to this moment, then I'm going to trust that he's going to be faithful to forgive me of my sins and for him, me to trust him with my eternity but for me to trust him with my everyday prayers. God is a personal God with an eternal plan.